Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com, starting a series of three straight pods about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, and I think we need to do this. And I just went through a bunch of the text responses I got from our text subscribers, and I've gone through the answers to a text survey, and we do need to do this. So here's what we're going to do. Some people have mentioned that like Michigan did not come up very much during spring football. And I think that makes sense because you have to get your house in order before you can worry about the neighbor you don't like before you look over the fence. But they're done getting their house in order for now. So we need to look over the fence. So we're going to do that with three podcasts. The first one today on Wednesday is going to be tech subscriber responses to how you are feeling about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry right now. What has changed or not changed? Since the last Saturday of November in 2022, where you think these, like the effect it's had on your life, Ohio State losing two straight to Michigan, and then just some like other stuff about like kind of what you're feeling. So, this is the feelings pod. I like feelings pods. You guys know that by now. And then we're going to talk football in the next pod. And that pod has actually already been recorded. And that is, that's me. Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and Jimmy Watkins, who is our rivalry reporter now at Cleveland.com. And he was at the Michigan Spring Game, and he has been writing stories and asking fans on both sides about this. So that is where we get into what the teams have coming back, how the defenses compare, how the quarterback positions compare, Michigan's run game, Ohio State's passing game. That's a lot of football. We want to talk about Ohio State and Michigan within context of each other as football teams. And that's where I state my belief that I think Ohio State and Michigan are going to be two of the four best teams in the country in 2023. And what does that mean? And what do the other guys think of of my statement on that? And then the third pod is going to be the four of us again talking about intangibles and these other things and Michigan trash talking in the rivalry and maybe adjustments Ohio State's tried to make. And it'll be our opinion on these other things. And I also want to talk on that third pod about the history of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry when both teams are very, very good. When both teams are okay, not that good. 
when Ohio State's very good and Michigan's not, when Michigan's very good and Ohio State's not. And I have the numbers on that. Since Woody started in 51, what are the 71 years, 71 games, 72 years, because we missed one because of COVID, 71 games in the rivalry. What's it like at different stages? And I think that's going to be revealing a little bit, which I think goes toward the intangibles discussion. If you have a situation where both teams are good, which I believe we have this year, which I believe we've had the last two years, then does that mean intangibles decides the game? So I'm laying that out. It's a three-part podcast series. And then I think, because we didn't get this to you on Tuesday, this is why I didn't get you a Tuesday pod. We're caught up. Remember how we got behind the one week? We only did three pods like six weeks ago. And I was like, we'll get caught up. We did six last week and that caught us up. So now we can't fall back behind again and only do four. So we owe you five this week. So we're going to do on Saturday. And I think Saturday we'll do a wrap up rapid fire where Nathan and Steven and I will answer questions about this series, about anything else from spring football, about anything that you guys want to ask about Ohio State football. But I had to lay that out because now we're going to talk about feelings and I need to know where you guys are. And as always, this is maybe more illuminating for me than it is for you, because we'll start with this question. How does Michigan winning the last two games against Ohio State affect you? The choices were, it affects me a lot, some, a little, and not much for now. So we're always curious about the ends, the extremes. I will tell you that a lot It has a daily effect on my existence. I feel those losses almost every day. That got 18%. Now, that maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but I will also tell you not much for now. I'll worry about it in November, but I'm good for now. That only got 4%. So four times as many people were on the extreme, it really affects me, as opposed to the extreme, it really doesn't affect me that much. So that still means that 78% of the people are in the middle. The winner was the second most option, some. It pops in my mind whenever I think about Ohio State football, which is a lot. A little was next. That was the third most serious option. That got 30%. I hate Michigan, but I can enjoy Ohio State football talk without thinking about Michigan. So basically, that's 66% of the people on one side, on the more serious, it really affects me side. 34% on the other, and I can handle it side. So it's two to one, two to one that you guys are feeling it on a regular basis. And as always with this, you're more likely to respond when you feel it. So the people who are like, I'm fine, they probably don't vote. So I don't know that this means the entire fan base is two to one. I'm really feeling it to some degree. I don't know that it means our texters. I don't know that it means our Buckeye Talk listeners are like that. But it's the people who voted, the people who felt moved to vote. If you're like, yeah, yeah, I like football, but, you know, I'm in my garden right now. I'm fine. We'll worry about it in November. You probably, you maybe didn't even vote. So keep that in mind. But let's get to some answers on here about this, where you guys are from the 330. As a 23-year-old, this is Kelly and, Kelly and Millersburg. As a 23-year-old who really came to love this team in the 2014 season, I didn't really grasp the hate for Michigan before 2022. I honestly hated Penn State more. They beat us and had very competitive games for a few years. These two losses have been humbling. I hate Michigan with a burning passion. These two losses have pulled me so much deeper into fandom. As much as I hate to admit it, 
a competitive rivalry is way better than a non-competitive one. With that being said, let's win the next 10. Go Bucks. So that idea, I like starting there, that as upset as you are, it actually has brought you more into the rivalry. It's good for people to care even more, right? And that makes that makes total sense to me. You almost take it for granted when it's rolling along, and now all of a sudden something bad happens, and now you find out how much you care about it. That happens to all of us in life. Sometimes something bad has to happen for you to realize how much kids like your significant other breaks up with you. It's like, wow, I love you. I love the Ohio State Michigan rivalry. I love hating Michigan. I didn't realize how much I loved hating Michigan until I really needed to hate Michigan. It's a love story. It's a love story of hate. Put that in your HBO documentary. Uh, this is from a teacher, and I always <laughs> I like to hear from teachers. This holds a place in my classroom. So yes, the loss is felt every day. This is from the 419. My sixth grade students in Cleveland, Ohio, even often write 1125 on their papers. So this is a teacher that sent me a photo of their whiteboard in their class. There's a Justin Fields photo. There is an Ohio State pennant. It has the date 1125, which I apologize for this. I I assume I know it's locked in now. That's when the next game is. And it saved the date. Ohio State, and it has the countdown to to when it is. So uh, does it affect you every day? Sixth grade teacher, yes, it affects me every day, and I have my students write 1125 on my paper. Kind of fun, right? That's some healthy, man, oh, man, I'm really thinking about this. Here's another one. Michigan thoughts. No matter what Ohio State does, I cannot say they are better than Michigan. Every post, every highlight, when Big Ten Network replays the big games, I don't want to hear it or see it. Once they win again, I'll revisit it. Once Ohio State wins again. I even find myself mad when you guys talk about them at all. This is the one place I go to escape the what about JJ or Donovan, but I know you have to bring them up. I can't stand that team. I sat in the stadium on Saturday for the Ohio State spring game and only remembered the game last year. Michigan is clowning on Ohio State and it's up to Ohio State to make them stop with the win. I don't think that happens this year unless the defense wins it. Day is a game away from being washed. For as good as he is, one and three is too much of a mark. It's not just that it's Michigan. It's that clearly the elite talent we say Ohio State has isn't being prepared to win in the biggest games. And what else is a coach for but to prepare a team to fight for wins? We don't need great pro prospects. We need great college players who win. Give me Tebow's terrible form and his natty over CJ's beautiful ball any day. Winning college. That's where you play. So this is a person who is sitting in Ohio Stadium for the spring game and is thinking about the Michigan loss. So do you think about it? Yes, you think about it. It's JD from the 502 in Louisville. Look, I get it. It sucks losing to Michigan. I hate it. Thanksgiving with my family has been palpably more awkward and quiet for a few hours following the losses. But then we heal and move on. Michigan is better than they've been for most of the last two decades, and they've been breathing in radioactive hatred and rage for the Buckeyes for two decades. It was only a matter of time before they got some mutant ninja turtles to go off in the game. I think both games, both Ohio State losses, were way closer than the final score. Michigan plays a style of football that capitalizes late in the game when they are ahead and a team is going all out to catch up. That's actually a pretty good point. It, I, not that it's about the score, it's about whether you win or lose, but I, I actually I think that is a really smart point that I haven't quite thought about, that 
they capitalize, they get ahead, they make you take chances, and then they punish you, right? By getting after the passer maybe, or by running the ball down your throat. Obviously, the Buckeyes aren't going down without a fight, so naturally they go super hard at the end, and it gave Michigan way more opportunities to close the game out. I won't say we should have won or would have won, but I can say that if it um, it didn't really seem like we played our best football either of the last two times we faced them, which begs the question, why aren't we playing our best football at the end of November, two years and counting? It's not nerves. It's not lack of talent. A little bit of the flu, perhaps. We know, right, there were talk that some guys were sick in 21. And I think getting down on ourselves too quickly. I think more than any other game of the year, the game is all about momentum. Harbaugh has been able to capitalize on a few huge plays to swing the momentum in their favor every time. Before that, it was us. We would get out to a huge early lead most of the time, and then it was just sheer dominance. So from the 502, that's uh, JD, I think, making some some really good points and also noting that like it gets quiet uh, at Thanksgiving. Another one, Doug. I'm not sure what to say here. This is from the 567. I'm 22, so for my entire life, Ohio State has dominated the game. My first vivid memory of the rivalry was sitting down with my dad to watch the 06-1 versus 2 matchup. That was the game that really got me hooked on Ohio State football. Although my mother still has a picture of me when I was 2 in an Ohio State onesie after the national title in 02. But when I think about the rivalry right now, I can't help but think Ohio State is shooting itself in the foot. They clearly have more talent and as a result should be playing Better football than Michigan, but the last two years to me have been inexcusable. You cannot waste the amount of talent we have by not beating your arch rival. After the game this past year, I literally did not talk to anyone for a week. I ignored phone calls. I refused to talk and I deleted all social media. I was so angry that we blew it for the second straight year. I know that's extreme and I probably invest way too much of myself into Ohio State football, but that's how I was raised. I grew up in a house that had pictures covering holes in our upstairs hallway from my father after the losses to USC at the end of the Trestle era. Holes in the wall. As for the rivalry right now, I have fully prepared myself to take another whooping this season. I honestly see no chance that we beat them this year up north, but my mind is open to be changed, and I hope it is changed by Thanksgiving. So that is a person that is feeling it. Right? Feeling it. Doug from the 419. As dumb as this may sound, I do feel the Michigan losses on a daily basis. Every time I open up my podcast app, I see the Buckeye Talk logo and I feel a twinge of pain. That hurts me that the Buckeye app would Buckeye Talk app would would give you a twinge of pain. A twinge of pain about the standing and the rivalry. Then every day I take a deep breath and press play, and the theme song melts away many of my cares, but now I feel better. But the following day, I still have to summon my resolve to start thinking about Ohio State again. I also live in Michigan. That makes it rough. So I'm confronted daily with reminders that I have to respect that team and keep my mouth shut. I just keep praying Day and his staff and these players dig deep and come through for me this time. I had the utmost confidence the last two years they would. That confidence has now been finally broken. This last loss was all football except for when it was stupidity. I don't blame G. Scott for the loss, but he is a symbol in my mind of all the other choices men made during that game that were stupid and sloppy. Go Bucks, anyways, until I'm dead. Feeling it every day. Feeling it every day. Again, you're more likely to send, hey, um, this is driving me crazy every day. Let me rip off a text. It's like, oh, I'm fine. Less likely to do so. 
Right now, I just want to beat them so I can shave again. My beard is down to my chest and no shaving until we defeat Michigan from the 208. Uh, Beardy, if Beardy wants to send in a, uh, a photo with the text of the beard to the chest, uh, Nathan will do a story on that. That would be great. <laughs> Not that you have to have the beard, but that you can, if you have a beard down to your chest, if that's real, it's a good beard joke if it's not. Everybody likes a good beard joke. If it's not, if it's for real, congratulations on growing a beard to your chest uh, and that's dedication. I kind of hope it's real. I kind of think it's not, but I hope it is. Other people are finding themselves in this a little bit. You are forced to confront something that you have not had to confront previously. And you certainly can go different ways there. You're all confronting something you haven't had to confront, at least for a while. If you're younger, it's never. If you're older, it's since the Cooper years, right? Back-to-back Michigan losses, since Coop. So lots of confronting. This is from the 740. I've done a lot of thinking about the game since the loss this past season, and I feel like I have a much healthier perspective on it now. The game was the game for as long as it was, excuse me, the game was the game for as long as it was because of how often it meant the difference between going to a bowl game or not going, going to a big bowl game or not, whether you could play for a title or not, right? That's why, you know, the 10-year war was such a thing, because at that point in time, Ohio State and Michigan were both national championship quality teams, but only one of them was going to get to the Rose Bowl. And they were standing in each other's way. So they they hated, right? You hate each other, but there's really a prize out there on top of it. And it doesn't mean that the hatred or the rivalry has changed, but the prizes have changed. And especially, we're going to talk more a little bit you guys know the 12-team playoff is coming. So, I mean, we know it's going to change. We know this is potentially the last year of the way it is. But also the fact that Ohio State-Michigan both made the playoff last year and that we were that close to playing an Ohio State-Michigan national title game, a field goal away, and a couple, you know, big plays from TCU and a missed call. And that, like we're, They both lost, but they both easily could have won. They, I think you could say they both probably should have won. So that's how close we were. And I talk about that, about that a lot on the football pod. That's the second pod in this series. I'm, I'll go into deeper length about that. So we know it's going to change. We have to be ready for that. But this is this sort of last like transitional year, which is why, man, this is a good time to just talk about this stuff. Stuff's changing. Stuff is changing. And there, I just don't, there is no better lens to view the changing landscape of college football than through the game. Man, is it a book? I don't know. Uh, Maybe it should be. When the Buckeyes were up multiple possessions on Georgia, I couldn't have cared less about what happened in November. 2023 is the last year when Michigan can keep a good Ohio State team out of the playoff. Of course, beating Michigan will remain important. But for me personally, I'll gladly listen to their fans gloat all day about beating us if the ultimate result at the end of the season is Ohio State winning titles and staying among the sports elite. So everybody's going to get there in a different way when we're there. The idea that seeing that future is bringing you a little peace right now is not such a terrible thing, right? Is not such a terrible thing. Here's the other side of that. I, I don't know that I agree with this. This is not rants. This is thoughts. This is thoughts. Because I don't think any, we can't, it's not healthy to rant about this subject in April. 
just like, let's get, get, can we get everybody through the summer? Have a nice summer. (laughs) We're not going anywhere, but have a nice summer. And then like in August, like when preseason camp starts, then I think like full bore thinking about the last Saturday in November, I think would be fine. From the 813, my thoughts on the mission game is it is it is really only meaningful for one more year. Once the expanded playoff comes around, the game will be completely meaningless, meaningless in all caps. Ohio State can still win the national championship even if they lose to Michigan, maybe even twice. That last Saturday of the season will just be another game since they could play again one week later and potentially again in the playoff. At this point, all that matters is national titles. Those old school Ohio State fans who would rather beat Michigan than win a national title are completely short-sighted and need their heads examined. Ask 2017 Alabama what they remember about that year, losing to Auburn or winning a title. So we can probably talk ourselves blue in the face about what is more value to you an Ohio State fan, right? It's the question. Would you take a national title in a year you lost to Michigan, or would you take a win over Michigan, but you don't win a national title? What would you take? It's going to be split. I don't know what that breakdown would be. I do think some portion of that would break down generationally, and I I don't think anyone can say there's a right or wrong answer to that. I really have a difficult time believing that the game, like while the game is being played or in the immediate aftermath of the final game of the regular season, win or lose, the idea that that will be meaningless, I don't agree with. I think we've seen too many people put their heart and souls into this thing. And it does have to be a little different because the Browns and the Steelers hate each other and the commanders and the Cowboys hate each other and You know, lots of NFL teams hate each other, but if you're in the same division, you would play twice a year and you might play again in the playoff. So it's not an end-all, be-all. I still think we will retain more meaning in a regular season game, a rivalry game in college football, than we see in rivalry games in the NFL. I think for a substantial period of time, we will retain more meaning. It may peter out eventually. I think it will lessen, but I do not. I think we are quite away from meaningless. From, eh, well, yeah, you lost to Michigan. Well, it just affects your seating for the playoff. You're both in. I, there's too much here. There's too much here. So if you want to have conversations about like, hey, if you think beating Michigan is more important than winning a national title, you're crazy. That's a debate. I was going to say a fun debate. I don't know if that's a fun debate because it's just a decision about how you care about your team. And the idea that you care about your team the wrong way, I, I don't think is the way to go about this. I don't think that's healthy for anybody. But it's going to be different, but I still think both Ohio State and Michigan really want to beat each other. And I still think the best games will be the ones in their own stadiums. I do not think a game, I do not think a Big Ten championship game will be as good. A playoff game, because a Big Ten championship game is unlikely in a 12-team playoff to be losers out. It's much more likely to be both are in because there's not going to be divisions. They haven't officially announced it, but there's not going to be divisions. That's not a report. That's just an assumption based on not common sense. And the two best teams in the Big Ten are going to make the playoff every year. So that the Big Ten title game, a potential Big Ten title game between Ohio State and Michigan on a neutral site the week after the regular season game, knowing they're both in, that I won't wouldn't go to meaningless, but it really could lose a lot of luster. It could feel like a, another game for sure, if we continue on that path with with conference title games like that. Now, 
you can't get a buy unless you're the conference champ. So like you're playing for a buy, you're playing to be like the two seed versus the eight seed. But that also doesn't feel like an Ohio State Michigan. Ooh, what hey, it's the game in Indianapolis. What's the deal? It's like, oh man, the seating. Oh, I'm so nervous about the seating. It's not the quite the same. So I think that regular season game is going to retain a lot of meaning. A couple more where people really got deep here. And what I hope you the, – the thing I like about this stuff is you guys, if you're listening to this, you're united. If you sent a text response in, you're united. And what you are united in is really caring about this and really knowing about this. But it does not mean that you see it the same way. So I hope it helps you to either hear another Ohio State fan and hear something familiar in them or to hear something unfamiliar and say, huh, I have not thought of it that way. I do not think of it that way. I think that is crazy. I think that is weird. I think that is smart, but it's different than me. I hope there's some value in that. There's value in it for me, for sure. From the 817. On a macro level, it's completely understandable that Michigan, a historically good program, would compete with Ohio State. 20 years of dominance in either direction is not the norm. I try to not overreact to individual losses. I'd certainly rather be losing to Michigan than Purdue or Iowa or Virginia Tech. On a micro level, these past two years were my first real Michigan losses as a fan because I didn't watch much college football as a kid, so it's been very tough to see. Being at the game this season, it felt so obvious that Ohio State was the better team initially, but the second half was awful. The advanced stats back that up too. So then I had to be the guy saying that losing by 22 at home wasn't as bad as it seemed. Michigan blowing it against TCU didn't help. J.J. McCarthy became a deity for like five individual plays against us and then throws two pick sixes in a six-point loss against an objectively worse team. I'm worried about this year individually because of the offensive line questions that have been discussed at length. Definitely wouldn't say I'm expecting a loss this year, but Ohio State is resetting on resetting on offense at quarterback and offensive line, whereas Michigan has a lot coming back. So I, I think that's a smart take from the 817 on the, hey, they're good. Like, you know, I can understand that. I can accept that. I accept might not be the right word. I can understand it. But then the micro level is like, it's driving me crazy. And especially then when Michigan goes on and loses. Now, this last one where I really want to get into this. And then again, again, this is, what is this doing to you right now? That's where we had to start because it's feelings. I don't know why I say feelings in weird voice because I, I totally mean it. I am not making fun of feelings. I am pro-feelings, rage, fear. Those are my top two. This is from Dan, who sent a long text, but I think it all deserves to be read. Dan in Virginia from the 719. Forgive the lengthy text. Since you asked, I'm going to relate how things have changed for me regarding my Ohio State fandom since the end of the Michigan game last fall. And I mean in real time over the course of the last 10 minutes or so of that game. I get people might think it's a fair weather fandom feeling, but it was more like a revelation. It also doesn't mean I don't care about Ohio State or don't want them to be good. Ohio State football is still the only team at any level of any sport that I specifically allocate time or invest any time in. But I've essentially lost my passion for Ohio State football, and I'm not sure I even want it back. 
I grew up in Northeast Ohio. After the end of football season, when I was in eighth grade in 1992, my family moved to Michigan. So I formed all of my high school friendships in Michigan during the John Cooper era. I was even invited by a close friend whose dad was a Michigan alum to the game in 1995. Probably the first time I was ever emotionally affected by an Ohio State loss. Devastating. I also remember being devastated by the Ohio State loss to Michigan State in 1998 while watching from my barracks in college. And I have been on many highs and admittedly and gratefully few lows since. Last November, I was really pumped and hopeful for a win. I had bought into the weather and illness excuses from the previous year. I was sold on C.J. Stroud's talent and thought the passing game and even a fourth-string running back would be more than enough. But as the first half passed by and Ohio State failed to pull ahead with the opportunities to score that they had, I just started to get a feeling that they weren't in the fight. I think that set my expectations for the second half, and I was not shocked as Michigan started to pull away. I was honestly emotionless, which Michigan when Michigan broke off those two long touchdown runs, and I just fully accepted the loss by the end of the game. Even when when Michigan planted the flag, I thought, yeah, that seems about right. It was just that dominating a victory. I think with two straight complete beatdowns, what else could you say or think about Ohio State's performance? It wasn't anger or sadness. It was just acceptance. That same feeling has carried on from that game. Through the Utah win that put Ohio State in the playoff, through the run-up to the semifinal, and throughout the semifinal game itself. I was watching with my youngest son, a pretty big Buckeye fan too, and we were having fun, but I was really even-tempered the whole game. I was not at all shocked or moved when they ended up losing. It also carried through the spring game, which was more notable to me to have a reason to have my parents over to the house and have a cookout than to have any sort of meaningful interest in who did what. I still watched but without the hope of gleaning any sort of influence for the for um, the coming game that I have watched with in the past. Still a fan, just no passion. Still a fan, just no passion. I don't know what any of this means. Maybe it's just now that I'm 20 plus years removed from being college age myself. The only thing I know for sure is that it happened, physically happened during the Michigan game last year. I could feel it happening and I didn't will it. Maybe it's because of the way in which they lost the past two years, and I perceive that Ohio State's own passion is gone. So I feel zero compulsion to be passionate myself. Either way, I'm actually kind of enjoying my new perspective, and I'm kind of hoping it sticks around. There is admittedly some fair weatherness to it. I know that if Ohio State becomes a perennial 9-3 and or 10-2 and team and doesn't win another national championship in the next five to seven years, I'll probably lose a lot more interest. Also, I kind of hope that even if they should have a mini dynasty, I don't go back to the heightened level of passionate devotion I had before. In summary, I'm not really concerned about the rivalry in the way I was before the game last year. Not because I'm confident Ohio State will start winning again, but the last two years has reduced my concern for the outcome of the game in general. I want to close by saying that my drop in passion for Ohio State has not affected my great appreciation for Buckeye Talk. In the offseason, I have not consumed every episode as they are released as I would in the fall, but your work is such valued entertainment for me. Appreciate for your efforts to produce so many episodes. Um, And then some other things that we really do really sincerely appreciate, Dan, and thank you for sending those in. So I think this actually makes a lot of sense too, and I would like... You don't need my permission because this makes sense, right? If if you're of a certain age, 
you suffered, then it got good. You suffered while it meant the world to you. Then it got good and it still meant the world to you. And now that you have suffered again for the past two years, you kind of don't want to suffer. So you you turn it off, you turn it down. And maybe that means you won't turn it back up as high when you win, but like you didn't have to face it. You didn't have, you don't have to regulate your fandom, right? Once Tress got here, what were you upset about? What were the worst things that happened? Losing to Florida in the national championship game in 06, losing to LSU in the national championship game in 07, losing to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game in 13, losing to Michigan State in the regular season as a defending national champs in 15, right? Those are probably the toughest, Purdue, Iowa, right? But you didn't have to regulate it because there was so much good. You didn't have to turn down the bad. And I do think it makes sense that those knobs turn in unison. Now, if you can be the kind of fan that can turn down the bad but keep the good cranked to 11, God bless you. That is actually the way to do it. Hey, the team I love lost. Oh, well, get them next time. Hey, the team I love won. You take off your shirt and run around the block tremendous. That's hard to do. I think it it often works in concert. So I understand, Dan, and and I, I would bet there are people listening to this nodding along that this happening, because again, we certainly have people who, who believe the loss in 21. Well, here, I'll do this. This is from Carson. When we lost in 2021, it felt like a perfect storm. The Buckeyes were sick. It was in horrible conditions. And Michigan had a great game plan and exploited Ohio State. All that to say it felt like a blip or a one-off. In 2022, we had a lot of things going for us. We were at home and the weather was good. And we had the revenge factor. So when we lost, it seemed like even though everything was in our favor, we still couldn't win. For 2022, it wasn't a blip. It felt like Michigan took the front seat in the rivalry. That's from Carson, right? That's a change. That's different. So... If you could excuse the one, now you feel like you can't excuse the two. So you can be sick about it every day. Look at the Buckeye Talk app and have a knot in your stomach, or you can let it go. And if you let it go, I mean, that's how you dealt with that. And I and I bet there are people who said, I was a, and I don't think that's fair weather fandom, because why would you get off the ride? If you're on a roller coaster and you're riding it 20 times in a row, and you're like, it's awesome every time. I love this roller coaster. And it's like, well, don't you want to get off the roller coaster? It's like, why would I get off a roller coaster? It's super fun. And then on the 21st time, you puke. And it's like, do you want to go again? You just puke. And it's like, you know what? I just think it was one time. I think it's going to be awesome again. And then you puke again. I think maybe you want to get off the roller coaster. At least for a little while. It doesn't mean you never want to get on a ride again, but you might say to yourself, you know what? I rode that that roller coaster has six loops and I rode it 20 times in a row and I loved it. And then I puked twice in a row and I just didn't want to ride it anymore. I still like other rides. I still like roller coasters that don't have loops. I still like the merry-go-round, but I just don't know if I want to ride that. I rode that roller coaster when I was a kid and I puked, but I thought, man, I want to like keep trying this. You know, as I grow up, like roller coasters are fun. I don't I don't want to get off yet. So even though I puked, I'm going to keep getting on. And then you didn't get sick anymore. So you didn't stop. And then when you got sick again, you did. I think there's a lot that makes sense in that. So some of you are there. 
a lot of you are not, because also, even when you puke, roller coasters are fun sometimes, and there's going to be a time when you're going to ride it and you're not going to get sick. That's going to happen again. I don't know if it's going to be in 2023, but you're not going to get sick every time for the rest of your life. So maybe you want to keep riding. And if you're young, ride, 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 ride. Get a little bag. Get ready. I think I'm going to get sick. Yeah. Sometimes when you're a sports fan, sometimes when you ride roller coasters, you get sick. So you guys are feeling it. More of you than not are feeling it. And we wanted to get a handle on that. So I hope that's relatable, perhaps not relatable, but informative. And now when we come back, I want to talk about how are you feeling about Ohio State's chances in the rivalry? What has changed or not changed since what happened in the last Saturday in November in 2022? We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back up Buckeye Talk. Another survey question I asked was this. Has your view on Ohio State versus Michigan changed in the nearly five months since the, since the Buckeyes lost? So it's it's really the view on Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan 2023, right? In the five months since it happened, how have you thought about the game ahead? Two options were no change. No change. I'm still very optimistic about Ohio State beating Michigan in 2023. No change. I'm still very concerned about Ohio State beating Michigan in 2023. I will tell you, 72% said no change. Then I have, I'm feeling better. I've grown more optimistic about Ohio State beating Michigan in the last five months. Or I'm feeling worse. I've grown more concerned about Ohio State beating Michigan in the last five months. And this, again, is where I think if we are attempting to draw conclusions here, there are no conclusions to draw other than Ohio State fans are in a lot of different places on this one. 72% no change. That's 52% still very concerned. Only 20% still very optimistic. So that's a big gap. That's like two and a half to one. Feeling better, feeling worse, tied. Both 14%. So 72% no change, 28% change. But some of you have gotten more worried. Some of you have gotten more optimistic. So whether that's related to Michigan and how they looked in spring football, whether that's Ohio State and how the Buckeyes looked in spring football, whether that's Ryan Day giving up play calling, whether that's Ohio State hiring James Laurinaitis, whether that's Michigan losing one of its co-offensive coordinators or keeping Jesse Minter as a as a defensive coordinator or or I don't know what what else would affect you time your own thoughts overall concerned the two concerned answers are 68 the optimistic answers are 34 so it's 2 to 1 again 2 to 1 more concerned so let's start with the concerned. From the 804, Stephen Richmond. I don't see the Bucks having made any huge adjustments to beat Michigan other than what is needed, and that is to play better, mostly on defense. Just play better. An improved defense that doesn't give up a few big plays is basically all that's needed. I am a bit worried that if the offensive line is weak and we can't run on a cold, windy day in Ann Arbor, that could be trouble. We won't have CJ to carry the load either. I almost dread the game but it's hard to fret over it in April. Thanks as always, Steve in Richmond. So almost dread is is not great. 
I am still sick about the blown coverages that allowed Michigan to score on one big play multiple times in the first half last year. I am hopeful that will be that will that will be corrected, but until we get to November, I have to worry about it. That's from the nine three seven. Here's somebody who's worried. I am very worried from the four one nine. Outside of adding James Laurinaitis, I am not exactly sure what adjustments we have made. Michigan has completely destroyed us two years in a row. We had everything working for us last year, a beautiful day, an elite quarterback, a quick start, and yet we fell remarkably short. Michigan has virtually their entire offense back, led by a quarterback who is not afraid of us one bit, and we are on the road. I think mental edge is huge, and that's why Urban and Trestle seem to preach it so much. I get a Luke Fickle 2019 vibe with Day when we played Cincy, right? So that was like Luke Fickle. I just thought like, Luke psyched himself out. That's a really good Cincinnati team as part of a great Cincinnati run, and they got their doors blown off in Ohio Stadium because they they weren't themselves. Let's pretend this is like every other game, and that worries me. He thinks Ryan Day, Luke tried to say, ah, that's not a big deal, whatever. He tried to hide from it. Can't hide from it. I, I, I don't think hiding from the obvious serves your players. And so if if this texture from the 419 is feeling like, Ryan Day and Ohio State are just trying to treat Michigan like another game, and that didn't work for Cincinnati against Ohio State in 2019. I think it's an interesting comparison. I don't know if I don't think I agree with the try that they're trying to treat it like every other game, but I think it's an interesting thought process. So that worries me. I hope I am wrong from the 419. So that person is worried. Here is a big worry from the 440. I do not feel confident about Ohio State going up there and getting a win. Michigan holds all the cards right now. They have the momentum. They appear to have the mental edge. They return more production. They clearly have a formula for beating Ohio State that works, and the game is up there. Meanwhile, our offensive line looks shaky. We have no idea what will get out of the quarterback position, and we still don't know if they and the staff have cracked Michigan's code. We're guessing year two under Jim Knowles will bring improvement, but who knows? Ohio State is still a premier program and supremely talented, so they cannot be counted out of any game. But this is the worst I felt about this rivalry in over 20 years. Maybe I'll feel differently after 11 games, but right now I would give Ohio State a 30% chance of getting a win Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe even lower than that. I hate that this is where I am right now, but I don't think I'm being irrationally negative. So... I think that's heartfelt and smart text. I, I, I am sure that texter is speaking for a chunk of you, for sure. Let's put it this way from the 216. I would listen to a second podcast from you if you just dealt with Michigan from an Ohio State perspective. Well, it's coming. We had a lot of Michigan football talk on the podcast that you're going to hear Thursday. And I do think it's interesting. We have people saying, I don't want to come to you guys to hear Michigan. And we have people saying, I want to hear about Michigan because it's the thing that matters most. So again, we know there are all kinds of Ohio State fans out there. And so sometimes you want to face something. Sometimes you don't want to face it. I, We all face that. We all confront that or not. We don't confront it in our lives sometimes. That's how important beating them is. The, the idea of them, this texture saying, I'd listen to you guys talk about Michigan for a whole podcast. As it is, I think your regular podcast during the year need a Michigan section. I am taking note of this, how they are playing, who looks good for them, et cetera. I do think you guys have been missing that. Currently, no reasonable Ohio State fan could claim that Ohio State is in a better position to win this year. Michigan has the edge at quarterback, offensive line, and running back on offense. It might be closer on defense, but I would say Michigan has the edge on defensive line and secondary. 
Harbaugh has figured out the recruiting thing and really closed the gap and is making up for the deficit by doing a better job in the portal than Ohio State since the free transfer rule came in. I went to Ohio State in the 90s, so it will always shade my opinion, but football season has always been about Michigan, and no one should ever take beating them for granted again. Really good text. I think it's a really good text, and I promise you that in the Thursday pod, we get into some detail about Michigan run game, Ohio State run game, Michigan offensive line, Ohio State offensive line, Michigan defense, Ohio State defense, Kyle McCord, J.J. McCarthy. We want to do that because we want to have, and as we say on that Thursday pod, there is a discussion about how good Ohio State is, but it is as stark to me as it is at any place in the country how the discussion of that changes in the context of this opponent. There is Ohio State against the world, right? Ohio against the world. That is a completely different shirt than Ohio State against Michigan. And so, of course, we spent all spring talking about how good's Ohio State? How good are they going to be? But how good are they going to be against Michigan? How do they match up against Michigan? What are the, what's Ohio State going to do better against Michigan? What's Michigan going to do better or worse? What's Ohio State going to do worse against Michigan? It's the same thing. Of course, we're still talking about Mayan Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. and JT Tuamolowau and Denzel Burke, but it is such a contextual shift. So that's what we're doing on that Thursday pod. And we did it, and I, and I thought it was good. This is a phrase we can use. Doug, regarding the survey, I'm in a 9-3 and three mood after the spring game. So I do think this is an appropriate thing where if you're just walking around the house or your friends and your family – your coworkers are like, man, what's wrong? And you're like, ah, I'm just in a nine and three mood. Because a nine and three mood is like, you're not, you're not punching the wall, right? You're not crying on the couch, but you don't feel right. You're in a nine and three mood. I, I think that's very descriptive. Now, that also could be like, we could do that. We could have a game called nine and three mood. And like, if, if Brian Ferentz was in a nine and three mood, he'd be doing cartwheels down the driveway. It's like, hey, I'm in a nine and three mood, man. You know, like if, if Greg Schiano was in a nine and three mood, he'd be sliding down a rainbow. But if you're in a nine and three mood as an Ohio State fan, like you're just, you're a little morose. I'm in a nine and three mood after the spring game from the 5-1-3. One, I don't think we have a championship caliber offensive line. I will not be surprised midseason if you say on the pod, oh yeah, we should not have fought a line that lost that much talent and has no five stars and no three-star gems would be good enough. I actually could see myself saying that too. Two, I'm worried at quarterback. Stats are irrelevant. There was no eye-opening play by Kyle McCord. Just one would have eased my mind. Saw some JT accuracy on completions, in my opinion. I think that's bad. Com combine those two, and I'm worried improvements elsewhere will not be enough. That's Matt in Indy. So nine and three mood, nine and three mood, nine and three mood, nine and three mood. This is about Ryan Day. I will say one of the things that annoys me is that a lot of people, including Ryan Day, seem to only be blaming the defense for the two straight losses to Michigan, which I think is kind of unfair. Is the big defense a big reason as to why they've lost to Michigan two years in a row? Yes, but I keep hearing, well, if it wasn't for five plays. But last time I checked, the offense has not shown up in its best form the last two Michigan games at all. Ohio State's offense has averaged 40-plus points per game two years in a row. They've only scored 27 and 23 points in the two games, which is not enough, all caps. You know who says this? Nathan Baird. You have heard Nathan Baird say this. Nathan is very strong on this, and it is an absolute point that needs to be, should be made. 
It's also ridiculous. They've only scored three points in the entire second half of the last Michigan game as well. Is Michigan better than they have been in past years? Yes. But it's not like Ohio State has gotten worse. Ohio State has and is still recruiting better than Michigan. Ohio State has had one of, if not the highest paid coaching staff the last two seasons, and it still hasn't mattered during the last two Michigan games. I like Day, and I really want him to, to be the head coach here for a long time. But I would be lying right now if I said I have faith in him to beat Michigan this year, especially since the game is at Michigan this year, and they're returning practically everybody from a team that walked into Ohio Stadium and won by 22 last season. I hope I'm wrong, but those are just my thoughts at the moment. So that is a lack of faith, and I get it. I, I think it's hard to argue if you feel that way. I have zero faith in Ryan Day to lead a team that can beat Michigan until I actually see it happen. This team seems to not have that edge that Tress and Urban brought. I feel more confident in his ability to beat Georgia or Bama than Michigan right now. That's Colin in Tampa which, again, gets down to the nut a little bit here, which is just remains utterly fascinating. More confidence to beat Bama and Georgia. This feels like a survey question. Do you have more faith in Ohio State to beat Georgia, Bama, Michigan, right? Like, I, I, I think that is super – that's a great way to put it because Georgia and Bama are SEC monsters, but you have more faith for Ohio State beating them. It's really interesting. Here's one more good long text. This is a good one from the 914. I'm going to assume I'm on the younger end of Buckeye Talk listeners, so I think my perspective will be relatively unique. I'm 24 years old, and the first real Buckeye season I followed closely was uh, in 2005. I was born on the day before the Michigan win in 1998, and I've always liked to think that my birth turned the tide. You're welcome, Buckeye Nation. <laughs> 2011 was the first Michigan loss that I really experienced, but I even remember at the time not being that alarmed that they beat us. I think everybody understands that, right? It's kind of a one-off in a weird year. Even 13-year-old me was able to understand the nuance of how that whole season went down, and the quick urban hire made that loss not matter within weeks. These last two seasons, however, is something entirely different. I have never had to watch... Um, the Buckeyes get truly embarrassed against Michigan with such high stakes. They are operating at a level that I have not seen, and they are only getting better. This is Michigan. Their player development clearly has something that we are lacking at the moment. We had such a head start on them in every facet of our program just 24 months ago. They have the momentum, the more experienced quarterback, and the more experienced head coach while also having the game at home. I like what the Buckeyes bring this year as well. I'm not saying we can't win the game. and I actually sort of like that we are on the road so the team can have an us-against-the-world kind of mentality. But Michigan has every advantage you could possibly want right now, and they know it. With a young quarterback and an uncertain offensive line, I don't know why anybody would expect a victory in Ann Arbor. If they pull it off, it will be an all-time Ohio State victory in terms of impact on the state of the program and the rivalry. That's from Griffin. I think that's a really good text. I actually also, I think, agree with the idea of, I don't think it's a bad thing that this game is in Ann Arbor, and I will tell you why I think that's different. So I'm not going to claim that I call. I certainly picked Ohio State to win in 2021, but when it was snowing and Michigan ran on the field and you just looked at the scene, I remember thinking, huh, this kind of looks like what you think it would look like when Ohio State finally loses again to Michigan. It would look like this. And I think when you are the big dog in the rivalry, when you are the favorite, when you are the assumed victor, when you have dominated, and then you go on the road, you go on the road with expectation. And 
then that that team on the other side, that losing team, might need a lift at home, right? And and that mattered. I thought it mattered for all the other things. The weather. If Ohio State had a little bit of the flu. They they couldn't tackle Blake Corm in the third quarter. They couldn't run the ball for a first down in the third quarter. I thought that did matter. That game was in Ann Arbor. This time, Ohio State will not be going with expectation. And I do think sometimes the pressure can build more in your own place. So I do think when Ohio State's on a two-game losing streak, I think us against the world into the, the den of the lion might be better. So I know that's weird. You guys know my thoughts on home field advantage at Ohio Stadium and that kind of thing. As I, in April, evaluate the Ohio State-Michigan game, I give 0% of where the game is. That is not, it, to me, it is not more difficult because it's in Ann Arbor. So um, maybe you could say if you got a really full-throated, awesome crowd and Ohio State scored first at home, it could make it tough on Michigan. But I, I think it is nothing. So of all the factors like why Ohio State you know, the hard, the difficult things about Ohio State beating Michigan in 2023, where it is, is not on my list. It's just not, a, it's not on my list at all. From the 419, we say they are better now, but we didn't say that before because Ohio State stopped them from being better. This is a really smart take. 2016, Michigan was going to go to the Big Ten Championship, but we won, right? That, you saw that. 2016, like, this is, this is, this is their shot. This is Michigan's shot. It's a flawed Ohio State team. Right, JT runs into the butt, barely makes the first down. If he doesn't make that, Curtis Curtis Samuel saves Ohio State in overtime. That was a Michigan team that went toe to toe with Ohio State with a flawed Ohio State team. Good, big wins, flawed, good Michigan team. I think maybe Michigan was better than Ohio State that year, but Ohio State like found a way to win and had a little luck. Frankly, right? It's an inch. So. Ohio State fought its butt off in that game. And Curtis Samuel and JT Barrett and guys like made gigantic plays in that game. But Michigan easily could have won. 2018, Michigan was going to go to the championship, but we won. It's 2018, right? Michigan's favored and it's Dwayne Haskins and the passing game and Ryan Day. And they, they just take care of business again, right? So it's like these, it's it's the, the arrival of the Ohio State passing game that blows the door on Michigan a couple of years in a row. So Michigan has had teams where if they beat Ohio State, they would have been back nearly seven years ago. All of a sudden, the last decade is even if you have those two wins for Michigan. So it's up to Ohio State to make Michigan look bad, and Day hasn't gotten it done. With better circumstances than he will have this year, with Michigan having the advantage in most offensive positions except maybe receiver, it's not looking good for Ohio State in 2023. So I think that's that's an interesting take of like, Oh, Ohio State had the edge. Well, like it was close. Like going into the game, it was close a couple times. 13 could have gone either way, man. 13 could have gone either way. Two-point conversion. Comes down to a two-point conversion. There are a couple coin flip plays that Ohio State came out on the better end of. An inch on the JT run, the two-point Tyvis Powell intercepts two-point conversion. Is that what is that? Is that knowing how to win? Is that toughness? Is that a rivalry mentality? I don't know. I, I th- I'm not dismissing it. Also, sometimes the ball bounces your way or like in one moment, a guy makes a play. Ohio State could have lost to Maryland in 2018. So 
Uh, but then these two last two games, I, do, I were not that. Right? They were not coin flips. So, uh, so those are the people who are worried, and I wanted to talk about them. Who's optimistic? Who's optimistic? There's not as many. There's not as many from the three three zero. So before the loss in twenty twenty one, it was hard for me to even fathom losing to Michigan. All my life, I have grown up knowing Ohio State beats Michigan because that is what has happened for most of my life. Now. I joke with my wife of almost three years that we have never witnessed an Ohio State-Michigan victory as a married couple together. We did witness a 2019 game as a dating couple. Aha, we have found the culprits. All that to be said, I will always be optimistic about Ohio State beating Michigan, even in a year when this looks like it could be the toughest year to do that in a while. But following along the guys through spring and just where they seem to be mentally has me believing that they can turn it around this year. The scary thing with this year, though, is that they can still play an unbelievable game, but they might lose because Michigan is just that good this year, and that is what I am preparing for. So even that optimism, I tried to find, like, I found, like, the six most optimistic I could find. Even the optimism is tinged with worry for a lot of people. From the 281, I think the Jim Knowles factor will kick in versus Michigan this season. What I saw from the defense during Saturday's spring game is that the players appear fully dialed in to Knowles' system, and they also appear to have some swagger now. While I think Ohio State's offense will be good, but not as good as last year, I think the defense will be awesome and drive Michigan nuts come November. A lot of very good to excellent talent at each position. This team will roll in Ann Arbor. I have a theory. I have an equation theory about how Ohio State, where it lands as a team in 2023 with a very different way than they were as a team in 2022, which kind of kind of get to the same place in a lot of ways. That's coming on the Thursday pod. My thoughts on the team. Muck Michigan, very dangerous. You're trying to get me from the 740. They're turning things around and good for the Big Ten or whatever. I can't stand them. Something about Jimmy being a good coach has done them well over the past couple games, but Ohio State as a program is still far ahead. Talent, infrastructure, that'll be apparent in the next couple years. Micah in Utah. Feeling it. Feeling it. I would have said I feel much more optimistic about the Michigan game now, but the offensive line has me concerned. I truly believe that Ohio State will lose at least one game this year, that they should win. They'll lose a game they should win just because the offensive line gets dominated by either an elite pass rusher or a defensive line playing well above average. If that loss is to Michigan, then people are going to lose their minds. I'm afraid they will chase Ryan Day of the NFL. I will be bummed if that happens because I believe that long-term Day will handle Michigan going forward, mostly because he shows growth as a coach every year, in my opinion. So maybe Ohio State loses to Michigan this year, making three straight. But then I see Day and Ohio State going on something like a 12-3 run over the next 15 years if Day sticks around. That's Jared in Springboro. That that's the that is the hard part of this. Of we're gonna have a football conversation. We're gonna have an intangibles conversation. You could Ohio State could get the intangibles in order and then have a football flaw, or get the intangibles in order and Michigan just have great football and you still don't get over the top. There is a world where Ohio State plays very well and it doesn't matter. Like Michigan plays even better. So that's the one thing. And as much as I do think, and we talked about it at the time, I think it was good for the, I think the Georgia loss was good for the fan base. I think it was about as good of a loss as you could have. I don't know if there's such a thing as a good Michigan loss, right? Do you, I think you guys are going to text me and be like, Doug, there's no such thing. There are no, like, hey, 
right down to the wire. Oh, man, man, Michigan just kicked that 38-yard field goal in the last play of the game. But Ohio State sure did play well. No turnovers, really made some big plays. Oh, that J.J. McCarthy, he made a great – Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, wow, it came right down to the wire. What are you going to – nope, I, I, not three in a row. So you can get the football and the intangibles in order, and that's the part of this that is difficult. And then I want to talk about – on the third podcast in this series, which is like, it's an intangibles discussion, but it's also a discussion about like, what do you do with good Michigan and how do you view good Michigan? And I asked a texter question that we're going to save that answer for the Friday pod, the third pod in the series of how does Michigan being good affect this? Because that's a feelings question. So we're going to talk about Michigan being good, on the Thursday pod, but then the idea of Michigan being good, how does that affect your view of the rivalry? I am very fascinated by, and I have some stats there that we'll talk about. Ohio State had a bad defense in 2021 and got out-toughed on both sides of the running game. They could not run or stop the run. That led to an unfortunate decision to build toughness, which might have worked if you were not using the fourth string running back during the Michigan game. In 2022, the offense played too tight. If they had used the Georgia offensive game plan, they would have won. However, the defensive secondary just got burnt. I think Ryan Day learned from this and has implemented needed changes. The defense will be better. I don't think they will play as tight in 2023 as they did in 2022. By November, the quarterback in the passing game should be humming, at least in my opinion. That's Gary in the 217 with some optimism. I do think, I think there are some real football reasons here for optimism, mostly on the defensive side of the ball. That, that I think we have to remember that, that 21, it was just a, a non-standard defense all the way through, and it showed up again in the Michigan game as it had shown up earlier in the year when the defensive coordinator got demoted. And then in 2022, they blew coverages. So there's a decent chunk of this where better defense solves 80% of it. And... You've heard us talk all spring that we think the defense is going to be better. So there, there's a part of this that really might just be a football conversation that is mostly about that. And that football conversation is on the Thursday pod. My thoughts on Michigan. I am optimistic that Ohio State can write this ship. This is in their head. They are more talented. I said last year to stay out of their own head and they will be fine. Well, Feels the same way this year. Need that balance between it's everything and just another game. I like bringing in James Laurinaitis. I like peppering in others from the previous 16 years of dominance. Take it serious and exploit their weakness. Oh, and find a tackle in the portal. Ken from Illinois with some optimism there. Um, here's somebody, this is the idea of like, this is one of those things of like, is this the start of a trend? It's two in a row the start of a trend from the 319. It's YG from Grand Rapids. I think Ohio State has and will always have the talent to compete nationally and with Michigan. I don't think the two back-to-back losses are trends. Repeat, I don't think the two back-to-back losses are trends. But there were certain things that showed during those seasons that losing in that fashion was possible. As long as Day is the head coach, we will likely have the better QB. And with that, you have a chance. I don't believe in the quarterback development at Michigan. J.J. McCarthy is talented, but I watched every Michigan game last season. There were multiple times I thought to myself, well, if we just do this, he won't have a chance. He can airmail some throws, and he tends to not always take what the defense gives him. Nothing I've seen in their history under Harbaugh leads me to think he'll improve more than the Ohio State defense in his time there. 
thinking the Ohio State defense will improve more. I'm hoping that the re-engagement of lower-level Ohio guys plus the regression to the mean of the Ohio State defense gives us more of the same that we've seen in the last 20 years. So, not a trend. Um, let's see, one more. Looking forward to these pods. Thanks, from the 614. I was in school from 93 to 97 when we lost three times in the game when the stakes were huge, lost another one it didn't matter much, and won once when it didn't affect our postseason seemingly at all. Those three losses of 93, 95, and 96 hurt, as did the overall lopsided trend. This is not that yet. But I'm anxious about 2023 already, and it would be a huge thing if it happens for a third year in a row with the level of talent we have on this team and the stakes that would most likely, um, that this game with the stakes is going to, they're going to be astronomical stakes again. I I think 11-0, 11-0 is definitely on the board. When I say huge stakes, I'm talking about overall record and how the results affect the bowl and the playoffs and that kind of thing. In many ways, the stakes are always higher no matter what the record, but some are higher than others as your rankings breakdown suggests. So I sent that to the texters already about what happens when one team's really good, one t- the other team's really good, both are really good, or neither are that good. What are the edges in this game? And we'll talk about that more in the Friday pod. I'm not trying to tease you into oblivion, but we just have to break this up. We have to slice it thin. Is how you get three pods out of this. That's going to be three long pods. But we have we have to sort of stay on track with what we're trying to talk about. What we're trying to do today is get you guys sharing your feelings about what you think about this thing. So that was worried and optimistic. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about your opinion about the football. What are what's the football matchup? Right. I want your opinion on that. And then some other things about adjustments that have been made, why this is happening, right? We'll get into that a little bit next on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. If you want to be a tech subscriber and get to take part in surveys like this, 614-350-3315. College Football Survivor Show, latest one out. Shahan Jeharaja and I ran through spring football and spring games for four playoff contenders, Georgia, Ohio State. We talked about them in context of each other because they just played each other. We also did Texas and Clemson. So if you want to listen to that episode, and then later in the week, our second episode, we're going to hit four more teams who have finished spring football. Plan is to do Penn State, Florida State, uh, who else? Tennessee and USC. Is our plan. And then there's a bunch of teams having their spring game this coming Saturday, like Alabama. So we'll get to them, Oregon, Washington, some other playoff teams. So the College Football Survivor Show invites you to try that if you never have. Or if you have tried it, then you're also invited to try it again. We don't want to exclude people who tried it before. And again, tech subscribers is just a great way uh, for people to be involved. And, and I'll just tell you, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning now on Wednesday night. Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, as I record this. And I did a Survivor Show on Tuesday. And... Uh, we we did the second podcast in this first. So Nathan and Steven and Jimmy and I did like 90 minutes. So um I was kind of I had to get in the right headspace for headspace for this. And like I always um I mean like you know it's like a radio host it's like hey well you know headspace what are you talking about? You go on the air, you go on the air. But when it's stuff like this, and it's weird because I'm sitting in an old guest bedroom with Mike and Molly on mute in the background just because it came on. I did like Mike and Molly, actually. I thought Melissa McCarthy was always funny. I don't like Mike. I don't think he's ever been good, but Molly is good. So I I 
can't be like you can't brush this off because this is like the most important thing like to you guys. So and but it's weird because you sit in a room at three o'clock in the morning by yourself, but like you feel like people are in the room with you. So it's pretty cool. So I like reading through these answers and try to get them organized in a way that makes sense. And so the last thing we want to do here is talk about where you guys think the talent matchup is. So I asked, as football teams outside of the rivalry implications, how do you think Ohio State and Michigan compare? So I said, there's they're equal. Equal teams, pretty equal talent. I said, Michigan slightly better, Michigan clearly better. I said, Ohio State slightly better, Ohio State clearly better. So the edge to Ohio State, 79% gave the edge to Ohio State. 5% gave the edge to Michigan. 16% said equal. So whatever we're thinking right about Michigan, a vast majority of you still think Ohio State is slightly better, more talented. That was the phrasing. Ohio State slightly better slash more talented than Michigan or Ohio State clearly better, more talented. 56% Ohio State slightly, 23% Ohio State clearly. So like the most, the biggest Ohio State edge didn't win, but that's still a quarter of you. A quarter of you think like, oh, definitely Ohio State. 16% even, 4% Michigan slightly, 1% Michigan clearly. So if there are that many people worried, but yet there are this many people who think Ohio State's better, then I do think we're getting into intangibles, which you know, which is why we have to have a football version of this podcast. And then we have to have an intangibles. So it's your feelings, then football, then intangibles. But your feelings right now, from the 484, I hate to admit it, but Michigan is still more talented this year with a lot of returners than the Buckeyes. Still more talented than the Buckeyes. It's Harry from the 484 thinks that. He's in Philly. That's great. Love the show, longtime listener. All right, Harry. I know it's a lot to ask, but I could listen to a Buckeye Talk pod seven days a week, but you guys need a break, and I get it. I also love reading your columns. Uh, Very, very kind, Harry. And we did give you six last week. We did give you six last week, right? And I, if I did nothing but pods, if I did nothing but record pods, I could give you seven a week because I do seven. Because I do, I'm basically like you guys know. I'm like on every book I talk, and then I do two college, I do national two survivor shows. Drop my phone, two survivor shows. So that's my seven. So if you want to listen, Harry, seven days a week, you can listen to Buckeye Talk every day, and then save the college football survivor show and listen to one on Saturday, one on Sunday. Because frankly, there's a lot of Ohio State in there because it's about playoff contenders. So Ohio State's often part of that show. I do like talking though. From the 7-4-0, line play is the biggest factor in the game, but I also think linebacker play will be major in stopping the run. We need more nasty in the trenches. Kyle McCord looks good and will be fine, of course. Still needs development. The linebackers and defensive line look great with the depth. The cornerbacks and safeties look good with potential, especially in the top seven or eight. Running back looks good with regards to Michigan. I like them being the second-ranked Big Ten team, but we need to win. They can't go down three in a row. They need to rotate more to build depth and get through the season healthy. We've had way too many injuries mishandled. Play depth against lower-tier teams, get up by three touchdowns, start rotating, and get those game reps uh, while you can. So interesting, right? Feeling good about like, hey, what do we think about talent? Someone, that person was feeling pretty good about Ohio State's talent. Hey, Doug, from the 808, it's Craig in San Diego. 
Here are my thoughts on Ohio State, Michigan. I'm mostly frustrated with the Ohio State staff for failing the not tough enough idea. No, excuse me. Frustrated with the Ohio State staff for falling for the not tough enough idea that Michigan has promoted the last two years. Even my friends think we need to be more physical. I firmly believe that we have the best athletes and talent across the board. We need to out-athlete Michigan, not try to get into a slugfest which favors their style and allows their less talented team to compete. It was evident in the Georgia game just how good we could be on both sides of the ball when we let our athletes play by being aggressive and play calling on offense and choosing our spots on defense. Urban had the upper hand because he used our athletes in space. Now hairball has the mental edge, and it's up to Day and the staff to believe in what our athletes can do and put them in positions of success. I think that's a smart answer. I mean, you guys, that's kind of where I was a lot of last year. Now, I want to make it clear again, and we'll get into this. I'm not saying never run the ball against Michigan. I, the circumstances of last year, once everybody got hurt, made me think that. We have to see what the circumstances are this year. The running back room for Ohio State is deep. There's going to be options. And I think there's reason if you get a healthy Trevion Henderson, if you get a healthy Mayan Williams, and now you have an idea that Dallin Hayden can help you, you have an idea that Chip Trainum can help you. You don't know what Evan Pryor might do. But you don't know how the offensive line is going to be. So if you can't block it up and if you feel like, well, they can get enough in the way of guys and pass protection, get the ball out quick, get it out of McCord's hands, get it out to the playmakers, do that. But they can't consistently run the ball behind that line. Then you can't try to run it again. So if you can run, great. You still should lean to Marv. Lean Marv. Lean Marv. But I just thought last year, like with the way it, the way it unfolded, it really made no sense to try to be doing that. So if they stay healthier at running back, then I think possibly you can do that. From the five one three, High State needs to be more physical. They also needs to play to win, not to lose. The coaching staff was tight last year, and that carries over to the team. I think the rivalry is back to being a rivalry. Need to get a win this year, though. So this one is about the idea of like right that just. It's the matchup with Michigan versus sort of the, the national ceiling of Ohio State from the five six one. I think Michigan is built to beat Ohio State, but not the big two or three other national brands. And Ohio State is built to beat the national brands, but not necessarily Michigan. Shrug. I'd take a natty over the game win any day. I don't think Michigan's ceiling gets them there while Ohio State does. It is the ultimate conversation, and we will continue to have that. But I, I agree with that general idea. From the five six one. I think Michigan is built to beat Ohio State. Oh, no, that's the same one. Oh, this is the same person sent this thing. I'm continuing that previous thought. They continued this thought. Having said that, Michigan has leveled up recruiting, and this year's team may be their best in 20 years type team. So that's that person, I, I grabbed it twice by accident, but I wanted to make that point, right? The contrast is Michigan built to beat Ohio State. Is Ohio State built to win nationally? But then that person also saying, they think this might be the best Michigan team in 20 years. That is on the table. I think it is on the table that this is the best Michigan team maybe since 06, since the 1-2 game in 06, and maybe since their national title team. I, I think it's on the table, and that has to factor in somewhere. It at least has to factor into how we talk about it. It doesn't necessarily – well, I understand if it doesn't factor as much into how you absorb the result – if it doesn't go the way you want, but I think in the discussion we have to be aware of that that it that that it's possible that we are talking about Michigan leveling up in that way. 
Interesting question on Michigan being a national title contender. Michigan has proven it can make the playoff, but serious doubts it can compete with Georgia, Alabama, and actually win a title. Yes, they are a contender in the sense they can make the playoff, but to actually win it, I don't see it. That's from the 5-1-3. I have a theory on that that I will explain in the Thursday pod more specifically. Who has more to fix? This is the question. I think a question that would have been interesting to ask is which team between Ohio State and Michigan has more to fix in order to be the winning team this November from the 2-8-1? I think that's clearly Ohio State. I don't think Michigan has to fix anything. I think Michigan has to keep being a better version of Michigan. I think Michigan has established who they are. And so I think if you get even better J.J. McCarthy, if you get perhaps better receiver play, Cordelius Johnson and Roman Wilson back, if you have some defensive stars step up, but I think it is more Michigan has established a baseline. They have so much back that I don't know that there's much reason. Because like off the Aiden Hutchinson year, right? It's probably lost Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. It's like, well, can they be that good? So then last year, they were. They were as good without those guys. And then I don't think they lost anybody. They did. Like Blake Corm's back. Their top receiver stayed. I don't think they lost anybody that they're going to hugely miss. Olu Olu with Timmy was maybe the best center in the country. They're going to miss him, but they got a good transfer center. They have better answers at tackle, more obvious answers at tackle than Ohio State does. They did lose their tackles, or they lost their left tackle at least. Um, and then, like, you know, DJ Turner's a good corner for them. He's going to go probably a day two pick in the NFL draft. They've got to find that second corner. We talk about that on the Thursday pod, but it's it's they don't have as gaping a hole as they did in trying to replace Aiden Hutchinson. So I don't I don't think Michigan is fixing anything. Ohio State is fixing things. Ohio State is fixing the defense. Ohio State is fixing giving up explosive plays. Ohio State is fixing the run game, and then Ohio State has to fix replacing Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. Ohio State lost more, right? As much as they have back, CJ, Paris, DeWand, that's that's more to replace than Michigan has. So I think it's definitely Ohio State has to fix more. So now we want to get into some more specific questions that I asked about different parts of this. Okay. So these are, are different parts of the rivalry that what's happening within it. I want to address this. And I want to come to a conclusion about what is the biggest thing here. So I asked four questions that were all the same, true or false, right? And here are the four that I asked, true or false. Ohio State has lost its mental edge against Michigan, and that's part of why the Wolverines have won two straight. True or false, Michigan has raised its level of talent and coaching, and that's part of why the Wolverines have won two straight. True or false, Michigan's style of play is a tough matchup for the Buckeyes, and that's part of why the Wolverines have won two straight. So those three things, it's like, why has it happened, okay? True won every one of them. I was asking things that I think we've talked about, and I think you guys generally believe are true. But the one that got the most true was Michigan has raised its level of talent and coaching. That was 88% true. Better Michigan is a big part of this. Next was... Ohio State has lost its metal edge, 76% true. So 88 better Michigan, 76% Ohio State losing the metal edge. Style of play is a tough matchup, 65. So as much as we talk about that style of play thing, you think it's third compared to mental Ohio State 
and just overall better football from Michigan. And I don't know if I disagree with that. I think the, the thing I'm trying to like just emphasize, probably overemphasize because that's kind of how I do this. I say the same thing again and again and again is Michigan's good. Michigan's good. Michigan's good. So within the context of Michigan's good, then the discussion continues. But I don't know. I think you guys agree, right? 88%. That's a big reason why this happened. So the next one is the Buckeyes have seemingly made some adjustments that make me believe they'll be better prepared for Michigan this year. So all those reasons that that Michigan's done at the past two years is Ohio State doing something 69% true. 69% true, right? Better than two to one. That's pretty good. Again, the things that I think I cite specifically, um, the hiring of James Laurinaitis, Ryan Day making a move to give up play calling. And then I think just sort of like, again, they're trying to take some stuff off Ryan Day's plate. So I think he can establish more of a culture, particularly targeting that towards the Michigan game, even though he hasn't quite said it like that. Again, I had a discussion with the staffer that said like, hey, Laurinaitis is big for this kind of thing, right? That's not that's not a coincidence that that hire happened. So I do think those things are happening as it relates to the Michigan level of talent, here's a comment. Not overly concerned about Michigan. Harbaugh seemingly has figured out how to hire good assistants, so this is a rivalry again. As long as Day continues to make the playoffs and compete for national championships, I can accept losing to Michigan. But this is like a good Michigan. I don't know that a lot of Ohio State fans would agree with the phrase, I can accept losing to Michigan, but I understand that. This is like Michigan raising the level of coaching, right? My first thoughts, Michigan has clearly opened up an overall gap with Ohio State. We're trying to recruit a team of 85 five-star wide receivers, and they are physically beating us up. It's awful. It's embarrassing. And the Michigan coaching staff is coaching rings around Ryan Day from the 3-1-0. Roster building is never-ending fascination to me. And I, and I do think, a lot, you, you know, you guys hear us talk about it and other people. You know, when you do recruiting rankings, there's an awful lot of receivers and quarterbacks driving Ohio State's place in the recruiting rankings. And do they have that depth of talent other places? Do they have it in the secondary? Do they have it on the offensive line? Do they have it at linebacker? And I think it's it's reasonable to ask. This is more about the the contrast, the style of play, right? Michigan is a problem from the 7-3-4. Can we touch on Michigan being, quote, built to beat Ohio State? I think this has merit. The play that I haven't heard anyone talk about in the aftermath of the game was the fourth and one or two from like their 30-yard line. They lined up and went for it like it was nothing, early second half. Jesse Minter handed Ryan Day his butt. That's Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator, who was first-year coordinator last year, went for an NFL job, finished second for it, and is back as a second-year defensive coordinator this year. That said, does anyone think Michigan would have played Georgia as well as Ohio State did? I think you have to be dynamic on the outside. And despite the Buckeyes making Cornelius Johnson look like Larry Fitzgerald, he had a couple of big touchdown catches for Michigan, they just don't have any dudes out there, Michigan. Their dudes are all in the box, tight ends, offensive line, running backs, quarterback. Also, how about Jack Tuttle with a Tristan Jebbia-type transfer? I assume so anyway. Interesting. Michigan backup quarterback battle. Jack Tuttle is in it. Jack Tuttle, you guys know, is the quarterback who was at Indiana who was the quarterback in California that Ryan Day went to scout on the day that he discovered Chris Olave. Chris Olave and Jack Tuttle went to high school together. So um, that story has been told a million times, but now Jack Tuttle's at Michigan. He transferred from Indiana to Michigan. and But he, but he even he's in the battle to be the backup. Tristan Jebby is the three here. Jack Tuttle's in the battle to be the backup. 
It almost seems as if Michigan is designed to beat Ohio State exclusively. Their strength match up exclusively with Ohio State's weakness. I think Ohio State dominated the rivalry so long that it seemed like Ohio State had a bigger rivalry with Clemson and Bama. Ohio State and its fans kind of forgot about Michigan. You then see Michigan get on the national stage versus Georgia and TCU, and they proceed to lose both games. That's from the 4-4-0. The idea, we certainly, I mean, I danced on that dance floor covering Ohio State. Um, again, coming in that before these two losses, the only Ohio State-Michigan loss I had covered was an 11 in the weird year. I had never covered a real Ohio State-Michigan loss with a full-throated Ohio State team. Because 4 like they lose in 3 that's I wasn't here in 3 So I certainly danced with like, is Michigan State your rivalry? Hey, how come you don't get mad at people for wearing green, right? Certainly danced with, hey, Clemson on the national scene when you play them multiple times in a row. I, I was did that a lot. I did a lot of like, when is this rivalry going to come back? And now it's here. The idea of, of is Ohio State making adjustments, made some adjustments, right? 69% said, yes, it's true. Ohio State has made adjustments that make me believe they'll be better prepared to beat Michigan. This person, it's Eric in the 614. He says, Doug, I voted false on the Buckeyes have seemingly made adjustments. But I wish I could have answered, we can't know yet. Sure, they hired James Laurinaitis, my all-time favorite Buckeye. And that should help in theory. But we just won't know for sure until in the pressure cooker of the moment in Ann Arbor later this year. Only in that moment, in my opinion, will we see whether or not adjustments on the field, psychologically, and in preparation paid off. It looks good on paper, but the game, and obviously the game, is often about much more than on paper. Thanks for reading Eric in the 614. So I think that's well said. I think that's important. I think that's real. And now we can get to just sort of some last couple things. I've I've thought your contributions to this were huge. I've enjoyed running through this. I think it establishes the baseline of where we are right now, which is what we had to do, figure out where you guys are before we get into it. So the next two podcasts on Thursday and Friday are going to get into it. But to wrap up here, this is a theory that others have espoused. This is our guy, Evan, in Oregon. Ohio State plays and destroys Michigan in 2020. Do they lose the last two? Right. This is the idea of that that COVID year that was missed when Michigan was in disarray in that season. And Ohio State made the national championship game. I think not, Evan says. It is so frustrating to me that the narrative is that Ohio State hasn't won since 2019. Yes, that statement is true, but it's neglecting massive context of the story. I would never couch it that way. I know like there are people who do the clocks and stuff and this many days. It's like, well, nobody won that year. So I do I don't say Ohio State hasn't beaten Michigan since 2019 because 2020 wasn't played. They've lost two in a row. That's what matters. So if like other people are saying that, it's like I don't I don't know. Ohio State made the national championship game in 2020. Michigan was like two and six or whatever. So it's kind of a weird thing to say. Also, should Ohio State do more to prevent the rise of Michigan? I don't think their program rises 100% out of Ohio State's control. Keep talent in state, steal talent from Michigan, and win on the field. All those are possible. Do better, Gene Smith, Ryan Day, and Jim Knowles. Your pay is ridiculous. Our expectations are ridiculous. Now go win, not almost beat Georgia. Win. That's very interesting territory because when you win a battle, like a Midwest battle, if you're recruiting a kid that Michigan's also recruit, like you win twice. Ohio State gets him. You also keep him from Michigan. If Ohio State's recruiting somebody in Georgia that Michigan's not after, you want to win them, but it's not also hurting Michigan. But like, I don't think there's a lot of this. To me, it's about like the toughness run game argument too. You can't go about beating Michigan Michigan's way. 
right? If Michigan's going to be a brawler, but you're the more skilled boxer, you can't get in a street fight with them. You got to stay outside and jab. And maybe like that other boxer is questioning your manhood and motioning you to come inside. But if you get inside, they're just going to grab you and, you know, hit you in the ribs while they're locking you up. So why would you go in there? Like that's the, like win the fight and maybe you're not going to knock them out, but a unanimous decision is a W also. So I think that like recruiting against Michigan to try to beat Michigan for guys that maybe aren't at the top of your list, I, I don't think is the right way to do it. Um, and it, there's some things happening here, right? There's, there's some stuff that was happening. Um, Ian Moore, the best Ohio State offensive line recruit in the class of 2024 from Indiana. There was a, somebody put up, Michigan has four offensive line commits in this class, and Ohio State has four. And someone said, like, are these the two best offensive line classes in the country? Who has the best one? And Ian Moore, on late, late Tuesday night, responded and was like, hey, you know, a bunch of these, these Michigan guys you're mentioning don't even have Ohio State offers. Like, I know what's up here. And it's obviously that Ohio State's class is better. Like, don't don't bring this stuff at me. And it was interesting. Here's what it is. As of now, Michigan and Ohio State hold arguably the best offensive line classes with four commitments each. Which offensive line group are you taking? Ian Moore, come on now. Quote tweets it. Hate to start beef, but two of those dudes are salty that they didn't get Ohio State offers, and the other two just didn't get them. So Ian Moore, the Ohio State commit, top 150 national recruit in the offensive line is saying the four Michigan offensive line commitments, none of them got Ohio state offers. I've been to camps with everybody on that list, except Mark, Mark Nave, who's one of the Ohio state commits. Mark's a dog though. Um, and I can tell you the bucks are on top. So this is Ian Moore, like kind of going out of his way to make this point on Twitter. It wasn't a Michigan fan who, who texted, who tweeted that it was just the recruiting person. I will say before people start commenting on this, I didn't not get an offer from there either, but the Bucks are on top. So um, Ian Moore coming out and saying like Ohio State's getting the guys they want on the offensive line. And then um, Nick Murphy, right? Is it Nick Murphy? Who's basically the assistant recruiting guy for Ohio State. He uh, quote tweeted it and he said, spicy, Love it. Go Bucks. So this is interesting. And we'll talk about this on the intangibles pod a little bit. This is one of those things where what do you do when you're losing? Like, do you just kind of say, we'll wait to prove it on the field? This is Ian Moore, who's not waiting. He's like calling, do you think Michigan's better? Let me tell you. This is his opinion, right? So uh, I'm curious about that. So, but the bottom line there is there are some Ohio kids in that Michigan offensive line class that I, I don't think Ohio State should be in business of necessarily going after them just because Michigan. I know I definitely think they should. I think most of you would too. I think even the texter who said that, even Evan would. That's not really what you mean, right? That Ohio State should recruit a guy they otherwise wouldn't necessarily be interested in just because it might keep them from Michigan. That can be that can be a very dangerous game, I think. But I did want to bring up the Ian Moore thing. Um, so, so I did. Uh, okay, let's do another one. And there's a Brian Hartline thing I do want to talk about uh, briefly here at the end. 
um, because I just I just think we need to get this on the record real quick, and uh, we have not talked about it yet in the podcast, so we will. Nothing this season matters unless we beat Michigan. If we go 1-11 but beat Michigan, I'd be happy. That's from the 618. I mean, there are Ohio State fans that feel that way, and that opinion needs to be, uh, needs to be expressed. I started watching Ohio State in sixth grade, which coincided with the Trestle hire. I've only seen Ohio State lose four times in my 23-year fandom, and half of those losses are in the last two years, four times to Michigan. I'd never seen them lose in the shoe until this year. 2021 was surprising, but that team was so flawed I could move past it. 2022 hurt. It still hurts. I couldn't listen to this podcast for a month after the loss until right before the playoff game. Ohio State had no business losing that game at home with the edge at halftime. There was no didn't see it coming, no snow, no flu, no Heisman defensive end excuse. They just got pushed around again. I think the playoff games for the two teams showed just how much more talent the Buckeyes had, but they didn't show um but they didn't show that. I'm worried about the rivalry. Because Ohio State went with its first coach born outside of Ohio since Coop. Urban was the best of both worlds. He recruited nationally, but was an Ohio guy with a rivalry obsession. This year is a turning point from day. I think he can rebound, but three in a row feels more and more Cooperish to me. No excuse, just results in 2023. I wonder if it's not just Michigan, though. Ryan Day has had eight big games, three Michigan, four playoff in Oregon. He's two and six in those games. He needs to learn to build a mentally tough team that can close the deal more than 25% of the time, especially in the last week of November. So the playoff games, right? There's a part of this where you put yourself in a situation to lose in the playoff. And I do, I like a big game. There are other people who have written about the big game and I've grabbed it for, I think what will be like a companion podcast to this three-part series about Ohio state, big games. Look, when you're playing a top 10 Penn State team on the road and you beat Penn State, I, I think we have to be careful of not only counting the big games when it's Ohio State losing to a good team, but also I kind of have a hard time dinging Ohio State too hard for they were undefeated, they got to the playoff, they lost to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. They made it to the national championship game and lost to maybe Nick Saban's best Alabama team. They get to the playoff and lose to the defending national champs on a missed field goal in the last play of the game when Marvin Harrison Jr. got knocked out of the game. Like if we're just playing the record game, those are all true. And I can remember covering Ohio state when they lost consecutive national title games to Florida and LSU and people weren't too happy. So yes, it matters, but also giving yourself the opportunity to lose to great national powers. There's got to be some plus in that minus, so we'll have that discussion. We'll have a big game discussion that expands beyond the Michigan game. So I understand what this texture is saying from the 716. I'm not dismissing it, but I think it deserves and needs a deeper discussion. But it's a very interesting thing to bring up. From the 419, if we would have made the field goal against Georgia rather than a reenactment of Matt, Matt Francis's 1986, the game, uh, wide left knuckler, I would feel better. Um, I would feel better about the whole Michigan drama in 2023 if Ohio State was coming off a win against Georgia, right? So that's interesting because I do think, I mean, if I go, if I go, oh, because I mean, I, I don't think it's a wrong assumption to be like, they, they were going to be TCU. I think they would have done a version of what Georgia did to TCU to TCU. And so that idea that 
Ohio State makes that field goal, they win the national championship. It's like, oh, well, why would a national championship make you feel about the Michigan game, feel differently about the Michigan game? Doesn't the Michigan game exist on a separate track? And it's like, it's a national championship, you ding-dong, Doug. Yeah, you'd feel different. So that really would be a test. Again, we've, ha- we've had it with Bama winning a national championship in a year when they lost to Auburn. So um, I obviously that would have been different. But again, it's so odd how it's almost two, si- two separate discussions. Ben in the 757, I saw a tweet from somebody that said uh, that Urban Meyer had a coach on his staff at Ohio State whose only job was to study and keep tabs on Michigan. Is there somebody on the current coaching staff that carries a similar role? And if there isn't, do you guys see that position being a potential asset in Ryan Day's attempt to get back on top in the rivalry? Additionally, do you feel like the success Coach Meyer had against Michigan could be con- contributed to uh, that kind of position? Thanks for what you do. Go Bucks. Um So I've kind of said this to people. I've said it to at least one person in the building because Tress and Urban were at the coaches clinic before the spring game. And I think they should be back Michigan week. I think you could bring them both back and have them both talk to the team. And it's not weakness. It's not weakness. Cause, cause Tress had Earl in man and, and, and Tress got it. I just think you want to call on that. And it's sort of like the roller coaster thing. I maybe when Ryan Day takes over, and it's like, well, I don't know. We don't need. We're we're going pretty well in the Michigan rivalry. I, I would do that. So to bring in Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle for speeches, Michigan Week, I would do it. That's a different than the question that's being asked here, which is having someone on staff monitor Michigan. I think they might do that to some degree. I would lean all in on that, right? Because apparently Michigan did that last year, right? And and if you have these stories of it in the past, I don't know for sure about this. And I think Ohio State and Ryan Day might want to, I think they might be slightly circumspect with like the balance of focusing on the game, tweaking how they approach the game, but not making it feel like, oh my God, Ohio State hired nine people to focus on Michigan. So I don't know if they would tell us that, but I do think it's not unreasonable. From the 740, I've been thinking a lot uh, since the spring game, everybody seems upset about the quarterbacks that nobody stepped up. There's a ton of reasons for that. One being the offensive play calling. Um, when a Michigan beat Ohio state two years ago. Oh, this is the thing. My theory is they are keeping the offense vanilla as possible. And it's a result of the Michigan losses. So this person is saying not much razzle dazzle play calling in the spring game. Why? Cause you want to hide it from Michigan. When Michigan beat Ohio State two years ago, Harbaugh said they discovered the weakness of being able to run on Ohio State's defensive backs during Ohio State's spring game. Also, I remember watching Michigan's spring game last year and thinking how flat that offense looked and both Cade and J.J. looked bad. I really think this year's spring game is at least a partial result of Ohio State losses to Michigan. And if the result means we get back to beating them each year, then give me a lackluster spring game every year. McCord or Brown will be a dude. Maybe both of them are. Let's not overreact and act like the program's going down the drain. The spring game was all strategy, people. So I like that idea. I actually, I missed that. Harbaugh saying that they figured out you can run on the Ohio State defensive backs in the spring game. I got to go find that. That's interesting. Uh, We'll wrap up with this. From the 519. Doug, my Michigan thoughts came from the Last Rants podcast. I am getting sick of some people's seemingly unhealthy obsession and negativity in regards to the game and what Michigan is actually doing. I hate losing, especially to them. All that being said, I feel like people are being overly dramatic and very doom and gloom. 
acting like the sky is falling with the rivalry and Ohio State isn't competitive nationally. All this almost made me want to skip ahead to move past these questions. Rants like those make me feel like my fellow Ohio State fans are the most annoying and entitled fans that I have heard Ohio State's fans be described as by fans of other teams. Auburn beats Alabama, and they haven't had anything close to this much of a dominating stretch in that rivalry. I don't know if Alabama fans think the sky is falling when they lose that game, but they end up winning a national title or making the playoff. Maybe the pain is that Michigan has kept Ohio State out of the Big Ten championship game. The 12-team playoff is going to change everything next year. The end of the Trestle era and the Urban era were against historically terrible and badly coached Michigan teams, and the games were still close. Michigan seems to have figured something out here recently. I am one of those people that would rather Michigan lose every game, but these last two years' losses have been to playoff qualifying Michigan teams. Like I said, the 12-team playoff will make the path to winning a national title different. Some can call it tainted, but winning to lo- losing to Michigan while winning a national title is still a national title. So, you know, I do think there's a way to be to still want Ohio State to beat its rival. That that exists on its own. Beating Michigan for the sake of beating Michigan is valid. National title out of it. I do think the main thing is understanding that Michigan is good and then what that reflects. So the next podcast, we will talk about the football battle. And then the, the last podcast in the series, we're going Wednesday, Thursday, Friday here. We will talk about what happens when both teams are very, very good. What's the history there? And then how much can intangibles swing things? And where do we think the intangibles are? We've heard from you guys. I have a couple more surveys that we're going to get to in the other pods that are really helpful in understanding this. But I wanted to get your thoughts in this one. So you guys laid the groundwork. You guys laid the foundation. And then the four of us, me, Stephen, Nathan, plus our rivalry reporter, Jimmy Watkins, will come in with the next two and tell you kind of where we see um, things with the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry right now. So thanks for doing this. I like hearing from you guys. I hope you found it valuable. I thought it was the right time to do it. We are also still planning to do a special week of Michigan stories in May, but I did not want to save it on the podcast. I didn't want to wait. I wanted to do it now. Before we go, let's talk about Brian Hartline. As you guys know by now, Brian Hartline had an accident on his property. He was driving an all-terrain vehicle and it flipped over and he was injured in some fashion and taken to the hospital according to the police report and nathan has done all the work on this for us and nathan has been on top of this as much as anybody just getting the information to you guys that the police did smell alcohol on brian hartline and brian hartline said he had been drinking so we don't know what the next step of that is going to be um what does this mean for ohio state Listen, we don't know. We don't know what happened, and we're not avoiding the topic, but it is something that you have to write about, right? So if you want to read stories about this, Nathan's written multiple stories updating the situation at cleveland.com slash OSU. If for some reason you don't know about it, I would direct you to cleveland.com slash OSU, and you go on that page. And if you just scroll down a little bit, you'll find the stories with Brian Hartline in the headline. I think you'll want to read those. And I, I do just think it's one of these things the bigger your position of responsibility on the team, like the more you, it's difficult to have situations like this. And it's one of those things like, could would, would this have happened to Kevin Wilson? Would this have happened to Jim Knowles, right? He's an offensive coordinator. So it doesn't mean that a position coach is like, oh, no big deal. You're fine. And it doesn't mean that this is the end of the world. 
because again, it's on his property. Uh, there was somebody else in the in the vehicle with him. That person um, was not as injured as Brian was. We hope Brian is okay, right? You want Brian Hartline to be okay. But is there an effect on this? I don't know. But I would imagine that a head coach is not thrilled with a situation like this, and especially at a time when like Brian Hartline just got a promotion and just got a raise, and then this thing kind of happened, you know? So whenever you have alcohol involved with, driving a vehicle, certainly this is not the same as driving a car on a road where you could put other people in grave danger. Um, and we have seen, and he has not been charged with DUI at this point. And we don't, you don't even know exactly what's going to happen there, but we have, you know, that's a grave charge when you are a person of responsibility. And if you get a DUI charge driving down the road and potentially putting other people in danger, but we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen to coaches and, and we've seen coaches keep their jobs and that kind of thing. And and I'm not here to say whether they should or they shouldn't. I, I certainly there's zero expectation that this will affect like Brian Hartline's job status. But I think you have to right. It's on his. It's on the Brian Hartline resume now, right? What's Brian Hartline? He's one of the best position coaches in the country is a tremendous recruiter. He's been promoted to offensive coordinator. He's a rising star in the coaching business. And then this thing happened. So that's why we haven't really talked about it. We only had one podcast since it happened and we just didn't talk about it. There's just not a lot of intelligent talk about it right now. I don't right. You state the obvious. It's not great. Doesn't feel like it's the end of the world. Doesn't feel like it's great, but I, at least I don't want you guys to think like we're trying to avoid it. We're not avoiding it. I, we just don't really have much to say about it at this point. And it's really more of a news story where you can go read what the police report says. There's a 911 call that's been released. There's body cam footage. You know, we're not throwing all that stuff up necessarily, but Nathan has gathered a lot of information through the course of this to get an understanding of what happened. And you want Brian Hartline to be okay. So that's what really matters. But then also, you know, he has a very important job for Ohio State football. So wanted to touch on that, but this is mostly Ohio State, Michigan. Look forward to the Thursday pod, really good, and then we'll get the uh, the other one recorded. I'm expecting the Friday pod about intangibles to be really good too. Go read Cleveland.com/slash/osu. Try the text at six one four three five zero three three one five, and we'd love to have you try the College Football Survivor Show if you're so inclined. For now, thanks to you guys, can't do it without you. Absolutely can't. If without you, I'm just a guy in a room. Thanks for for sharing your thoughts. Thanks for listening to the thoughts of your fellow Ohio State fans. I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.